Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeJoria, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever going to see. It's the 2021 NHRA Wrap-Up Show with Tony Petragon and Wes Buck. Eric Anders is your 2020 Pro Stock World Champion in stunning fashion. We're going to talk about the year that was and the year that's coming. Scotty's out on Andrew at 1,000 feet. It's Scotty Polachek for the first time in his career. This is the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher. Wow, what an appropriate way to end this one. 28 10,000s at the strike. An instant classic final round. Hey everybody, Brian Loans here with the end of year podcast for the NHRA Insider. What a year it has been. We have two great guests today in the in the forms of Tony Pedragon and Wes Buck of Drag Illustrated Magazine. We're going to talk about the year that was. We're going to talk about all the stuff that broke at the PRI show, some of the rumors coming that have still been undecided, if you will, for 2022, and kind of give an overview and a look at the landscape of the entire sport of drag racing as we look around. It is a time in this sport that is very interesting, a time in this sport that uh, showing some very strong moves really across the landscape, whether we're talking about Pro Mod series across the country, whether we're talking about the strength of series like No Prep Kings, and certainly the NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series, Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series, the Pro Modified Series, and we can go right down the list. The PRI show, which will be a central part of this conversation, was an incredible one for the sport of drag racing, uh, specifically on the NHRA front. We had loads and loads of news revealed and broken over the course of the PRI week. It really kicked off with Antron Brown and Justin Ashley um, uh, announcing their strategic partnership, if you will. Uh, let's not call them direct teammates, but let's call, let's call them strategically partnered. Their crew chiefs will be working hand-in-hand. Hand. Justin Ashley will have access to the Toyota Racing uh, Engineers, and which would now be known as the Toyota Gazoo Racing Engineers as they have rebranded their racing program. And um, it's going to be a big thing for his program. Justin Ashley, of course, uh, some rumors floating around in the positive way, as they have been for everybody this offseason. They'll be announcing an assistant crew chief very soon for Mike Green. And uh, I am not at liberty to say who it is at the moment, but it is a name that you will directly recognize and a name that is highly accomplished in the sport of drag racing. Cameron Caruso came out and named Jim Yates her crew chief for her new pro stock operation, which they are, as you are listening to this, bolting the car together right now to get ready. They had tried and were planning on trying to get testing before Christmas, if you can believe that. Not sure if they're going to make that deadline, but they will be testing very early in the new year, likely down at Bradenton, Florida, where so many of the pro stock teams like to go test and make those runs. Camry is going to be uh, getting her pro stock license. She's acclimating into that race car. She's driven mountain motor pro stocks. She has driven an Outlaw 632 car that uses a, a very similar combination um, drivetrain-wise in terms of the clutch pedal and manual transmission to get herself acclimated to the speeds that she will be experiencing in pro stock. We talked to several, I mean, we talked to almost every driver in the NHRA series over the, cost, the course of the PRI show, learning things about Krista Baldwin going to double uh, at minimum, the amount of races she'll be at this year coming, going from five races to 10. Talk to Bobby Bodie. They plan on running 11 races. We talked to guys like Doug Foley, who are looking at an expanded schedule as well. And then, of course, Tony Schumacher returning to the top fuel fold. We had an interesting interview at PRI with the John Forrest Racing driver slate which happened to include Austin Proc. Now, they did not officially announce he'll be driving, but he was on the stage. We understand that they are very close to signing a deal with Austin Proc to get him back out on the tour full-time as a driver. And um, the uh, Ron Caps made his announcement. Uh, that was um, uh, one that all of us are anticipating. Some people speculating he was going to team up with somebody else. He announces the formation of Ron Caps Motorsports and that he will operate as an independent Nitro Funny Car team uh, and he will be announcing his manufacturer um, affiliation soon. Uh, that's going to be one that will be interesting as well, as well as other announcements coming from the likes of Antron Brown and several of the other um, highest-level teams. Tony Schumacher set to announce a new sponsor that will be on his car for the majority of the season in 2022. That will be announced on December 21st, and really the list just keeps on going. Roger Brogdon has committed to a full season of pro stock racing with the KB Racing Team, and it gives you chills. It gives me chills. The hair in the back of my neck stands up because in the last three and a half minutes, I've given you more news about positive expansion in the world of NHRA drag racing than maybe we've had over the course of the last five years. It is um, it is shaping up to be 
a phenomenal 2022 season. It is shaping up to be a season that will, in my opinion, kind of change the way that we look at NHRA drag racing, the way that we look at how these teams compete with one another, especially because everything has turned into this uh, rise of the independence, if you will, and it's um, a swell, if you will, that has turned into a tidal wave that has now turned into a tsunami. And this is a tsunami of of positive proportions when we talk about all these independent teams, the way that people are going to be running their operations. It is a revamp, a remake, a re-picturing, if you will, of how to be successful in professional drag racing. And along with that um, is going to come a whole lot of excitement. A lot of that's going to come with rivalries. Uh, We've talked about and we talked a lot about the specialty uh, call-out races that are coming in 2022. We're going to call them call-out races because that's what they are. Yes, they're shootouts. Yes, they're for an extremely large amount of money, but they are going to be on a call-out format, something that the NHRA has really never done before outside of the pro stock battle, which um, has been done in, in a few different manners as far as how first round shakes out. This call-out format for our Top Fuel and Nitro Funny Car uh, money races, one in Gainesville for the top fuelers and the U.S. Nationals for funny cars, um, going to be spectacular. Uh, not not lost in the mix, but news that should warm the hearts of every NHRA drag racing fan and historian of drag racing. The fact that uh, what we used to know as Lucas Oil Raceway Indianapolis has now been renamed back to the way that it was originally intended. It is now Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park, and it will be once again home to the Dodge SRT U.S. Nationals coming up later this summer. That is also a race that carries good news with it because it goes back to its uh, original format beginning on Wednesday and ending on Monday. Um, You know, as small as a a change as that sounds, uh, it's actually a massive change if you love the sport. And Monday at the U.S. Nationals is equivalent to nothing else in drag racing. Not even Sunday at Pomona feels like Monday at the U.S. Nationals. Sunday at Pomona at the finals always has a a high tension, high excitement, high energy feel because it's where we determine championships typically. But when we talk about Monday at the U.S. Nationals, it, it really does it really does feel different. It hits different, as the kids would say. Monday at the U.S. Nationals definitely hits different. It's a um, a day you drive to the racetrack with a, a level of anticipation, excitement, reverence for the history of what has happened, and uh, it's just a really really great time to be talking about drag racing here to end this season. So um, the Salinas uh, Pro Stock Motorcycle Operation moving to to be affiliated with Matt Smith Racing in 2022, Matt Smith building a Suzuki. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know where it stops, stops and where it starts in terms of the news breaking. And, you know, I worked with Kevin McKenna and Phil Burgess the other day on a story you'll see very soon on NHRA.com that runs through a litany of rumors that have turned into fact, rumors that still may be hanging out there. Um, it is just uh, it is just something that is unequivocated in my career in NHRA drag racing, which certainly is not as long as, as many of you have been fans of it. I've been a fan of it my whole life like you have. But in terms of being internal, uh, kind of embedded in the sport, being an insider, if you will, um, nothing I have ever experienced has come even close to holding a candle let alone a big lighter to the intensity we have seen so far. And it's not going to let up. Uh, we have Christmas coming. We have New Year's coming. And that is typically a, a very lull time for news, as you'd expect. People finally taking a week or two to take a deep breath. And then and then once we get to the first of the year, that first week of the year, it is on like Donkey Kong. We're going to be hearing about the Toyota teams testing the new funny car bodies. We're going to be hearing about those pro stock tests. And really, it's all going to lead up to that um, – to that February test in in Phoenix the week before Pomona, California. So um, I cannot wait to delve into some of these topics with our guest. Tony Pedragon will be the first guy we have on the show. But before we go into our guests, just really want to thank everybody for listening this year and hope you enjoy this, this look ahead, this look back. It's going to be a whole lot of fun to talk to Tony and Wes about the sport of drag racing as a whole and specifically the NHRA Camping World and Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series. So without further ado, let's welcome our first guest onto the NHRA Insider Podcast. He is my man on the right of all those broadcasts. I guess technically on the left, you're right if you're watching on TV. NHRA on Fox Color Analyst Tony Pedragon. How you doing, Tony? Good morning, Brian. It's clear and sunny, uh, almost 60 degrees here in Indy, so we're going we're gonna to enjoy it while we can. And Unfortunately, some of the uh, the PRI traffic actually saw some of this semi semi nice weather. 
Dude, it was insane. Uh, for as many years as I've been going to that show, uh, you know, back in the Orlando days and then moving to Indy, that was this was the first year that, you know, that it wasn't like sleeting or, you know, it, that the weather was, I mean, it was beautiful for this time of the year. Oh, it really was. I can't tell you how many times I've walked from from the parking lot of that Weston Hotel freezing in, in, in the teens, not really single digits, <laughs> but, but anyway, it, it was pretty nice. I mean, we had the rain the one day but uh overall it was a great show a uh, little mild on thursday but was it was great you know if you're going to go if you were going to walk around and look at some of the uh some of the performance of parts and then uh, of course friday and saturday it really picked up a lot of foot traffic yeah it was great i mean it was um you know we the sema show and, and everybody expected sema show was a little bit quieter than than expected and you know i the the pri show to my understanding was within like single digit percentage points of attendance from what it was in 2019 to today to, to this year which it felt like it i mean our our position for our nhra booth was right in that main hallway and it was it was jamming pretty good all week yeah, I think it was great, and you know, of course, I think one of the most interesting things we'll talk about all the big announcements. But because they didn't have it last year, they a lot of these companies were really loaded up with two years' first uh, worth of uh, advancements, right? Oh, absolutely. Were you uh, were you scoping out any karting stuff? I know you you and your son are out there, you know, beating the wheels off the go kart. You find any good stuff there? <laughs> I'm I'm in trouble now, Brian. It's it's going to go from <laughs> karting to uh, to a midget. I may have mentioned that to you. Yes, but, you did. Uh, you know, it's interesting, and, and I think, you know, there's so many parallels with racing, including this sport, our sport of drag racing, but one of the things I noticed when my son Desi started karting was there's a lot of talent there, and and I think it's such a challenge uh, for a lot of racers to understand how to move up and how to move on and, and uh, on to bigger and better things, and, uh, you know, I'm on the board of this um, this group. Uh, it's called ACUS. It's, uh, you know, diversity and inclusion. And, you know, that's one of the topics that we've been talking about, you know, in all forms of motorsports, IndyCar, NASCAR, and uh, including, you know, our sport is, you know, to, uh, to try to come up with a lot of uh, different programs and creative things so that, you know, so that people understand how they can get involved. I mean, there's two ways you can do anything. You got to work hard and, and inform yourself about it. Um, you know, of course, the money is the other route. If you have you have money, you can do almost anything. But you know, not everybody has those opportunities. So, um, you know, I'm I'm uh, Desi still wants to run some carts, but uh, he'd like to move up. And you know, one of the things he's looking forward to also is the NHRA Junior Street Program. And, yeah, that's great. Uh, I think we're going to help uh, work with Casey Kohler here at uh, at IRP at Lucas Oil and and uh, hopefully push that so we can get a lot of these kids off of the streets and at the racetrack. Man, one one last topic before we get into the drag racing side of things. Uh, I think everybody, you and I included, were watching that Formula One race, uh, the finale of their season, which was just unbelievable. Was Desi watching as well? Yeah, I did, Brian. You know, and, and it was. It, it And I didn't watch the whole race. Uh, you know, Pete, uh, the producer from Fox, and, you know, the, the little text chain that we're on, Steve Righteous, where I really wasn't watching it until he texted, and then I tuned in. And I really, I only caught like the last three laps, but the last, rather the last four laps, the last three laps were probably the most exciting I've ever seen. And I've followed F1, you know, since I was a kid, but, um, you know, it, it reminded me of something, you know, I, I know some of the drivers get a little critical of our countdown, but, you know, if you think about the effect that that had and the buzz that it created, it was in the news and social media was blowing up, you know, just about the parody. And it was really only, it was, you know, it was Verstappen against Hamilton, and I, I just think that 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 confirmed or verified that, you know, our format um, it works great. You, you know, the fact that, you know, I, I know even points and a half at the last uh, at the last race. You know, I think some drivers and some teams get critical of that, but you can never forget that we are in the business of entertainment. We just do it with these high powered race cars. And that's a fact. And, and, you know, you bring up a good point, which, which kind of segues us right in. And, you know, when we look at, uh, we look at the way 2021 shook out and, you know, let's talk about top fuel, obviously Steve Torrance captures a fourth straight title. You know, he was threatened. He wasn't really threatened, certainly not threatened in the way that, that Verstappen and Hamilton were threatening, threatening each other. But with what we are seeing now with, with top fuel for 2022 and all the announcements made and the Tony Schumacher return and the supposed return of Austin Proc, and we go right down the list, we're setting ourselves up to have something like that, man. We're going to have so much talent now trying to chase this guy down. It is setting itself up for, for potentially a one, two, maybe even three car race right down to the wire. Well, you're right, Brian. I think competitively, 
you know, in this past year, 2021 was great. I mean, not good. It was great. And it was so entertaining and it was so interesting. But, you know, I, I still think we were, you know, we were all, I think the racers were still, were still trying to adjust to the, you know, the three qualifying runs versus the four. Uh, now three is going to be a normal and the, the events that they do have four runs, that's just going to be a bonus. They're yeah. going to have more data and the capability of just, you know, getting the car to be more consistent. So I think that, I think there was a lot of things that we accomplished. Um, and I, I just see, I see more opportunity. You know, I think for us on the show, uh, you know, a million and a half, I know for the biggest show we had of the year, you know, we had, you know, 2 million viewers at one point and, uh, or over 2 million. And, and, you know, I think on our end, you know, our job, our responsibility is to, you know, try to improve that. And, but competitively, that's what it's all about. It's about having the cars and the drivers and the on-track product, uh, you know, to complement. Yeah. You know, yeah, we, you know, yeah, the, the, the job, I mean, yeah, for us, you know, to me, it's always like our job is to amplify what's going on and, and really get people inside of it. You know, we can't necessarily create this stuff. It has to, you know, it gets created either on the racetrack or in the pits, and then we get to we get to share it with people at a level that that brings them really into the story. And and yeah, I think for next year, uh, especially in top fuel, we're going to see a lot more of that stuff going on. And you know, I'm interested in your take on this when we talk about. You know, the top of the show, I mentioned how many racers are expanding schedules. You know, Bobby Bodie saying he's going to run about a dozen races. Krista Baldwin saying the same. Doug Foley saying the same. Um, and then again, some of the full-time returners. Is this like, has it been, or is this happening because of, you know, realistic budgetary changes where people are finally getting this thing into line where where it's like saleable for somebody and that they can do it without killing themselves? What do you think is driving this? Well, you know, I think I think business in general. I mean, we're all. I think everybody's anxious to work, and and I think competitively. I mean, you got to give credit to NHRA. I know they they always, you know, they're always the scapegoat. You know, the racers have their agenda. You know, the fans want, you know, whatever they want, and and they're not always happy. You know, they they love you, or they hate you, sure. or they have this opinion or that opinion. But you know, when it's all said and done, I think NHRA has done a better job of of regulating the rules. Um, in terms of competition, because what you have to do is you have to control the cost. You have to contain the cost. And I don't think that we're there yet, but I know that the efforts that they've made, it seems like that's helped. Um, I think early in the year, I think the track prep was good. I, you know, I, it got better. It really, yeah. and you know, and when you look at the performance of the cars and the quality of the racing, that improved as well. But the problem is, and, and this is just, again, this is my opinion. This is my preference. Yeah, every racer is going to feel differently about it, especially the crew chiefs, especially the tuners. Um, but the problem that I have with 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 their strong opinions is, you know, they don't pay the bills. They don't they don't sign the checks. You know, so there's a balance there. And the balance, in my opinion, is, you know, moderate track prep. You know, I don't think it should be sprayed because what happens is, is the owners feel the effect. They feel the, the bottom line is that they're cost increases because the lifespan of a crankshaft isn't as long uh they just go through more parts you know so um you know there again i to answer your question i think that i think that nhra has done some things to improve um not only the quality of racing but you know to help contain the the cost and i mean the rest is just you know people are anxious to get in and and uh and go racing so i think it's great that some of those drivers like you mentioned um, you know, Josh Hart, you know, he surfaced, I don't think he's through winning, but, uh, I think they're going to mix it up with a lot of the top, you know, when you look at top fuel, it's yeah. not really just top five anymore. Like funny cards, you're talking like eight bona fide drivers and teams that are going to be capable of, of, um, you know, running for a championship. Does one of the, does one kind of aid the other meaning that like when now that we've gone to this you know this new era of uh, now majority independently owned teams you get a guy like josh hart making ron douglas a partner in the car you know does stuff like that help to 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 quell some of the stuff you just brought up meaning that you know just to throw a name i'm not going to throw a direct name out there but if i'm a crew chief for you know don schumacher racing at its absolute height do I care how long a crankshaft lasts? Do I care if I blow the, the rods out of the thing, f- you know, four times over the course of a weekend versus now, 
when I'm the crew chief for Ron Caps Racing, I know that, I, and I'm, I'm not saying Dino's the guy killing all this stuff or Guido's the guy killing all this stuff. I'm just using him as a name. But now if I'm the crew chief for Ron Caps Racing, understanding that things are going to be a little bit more moderated or at least a little bit more modest in terms of what the spend is, do I have to now think a little bit differently? And by doing that, does it help fix some of this stuff? Well, I think, I mean, there's no question. The intentions of all the crew chiefs are to get the car from the starting line to the finish line under power as quick, as fast as he possibly can without hurting parts, without yeah. damaging parts. Of course, we know and they know it doesn't always work out that way. But, um, you know, that's where track prep comes into play. And that becomes, uh, you know, one of the factors and, you know, slipping the clutch, managing the clutch. But, um, but it does, you know, and that's one of the interesting things I think about the Ron Caps announcement. Um, I went through it, you know, I was a higher driver, but I can tell you this, when you sit in that car and, and it's your motor, you're looking at that supercharger and you know, you've got three or four of them and they're all good, but you know, the cost of them, things change a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, for a tuner like Ron Douglas and, and even, even the tuners that don't have an interest in the ownership. You know, I think they're more conscious of that now than they've ever been. Uh, even with Connie Coletta, I mean, you still, there's always a bottom line. Yep. And you still have to take this expense report um, and this budget that, that you have to work within. So, um, you know, I think everybody tries to race smart. But, you know, the reality is, is when the conditions are good and the track is sprayed 100%, cars are going to twist the crank a little bit more. They're going to sure. put more stress on the connecting rod. Yeah, that's just um, reality. Yeah, that's just reality. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's how it works. But, you know, again, there's a balance there uh, and the balance. I, but but just to get back, Brian, I know that we wanted to talk about racing. I just thought that was one of the interesting things about the Caps announcement. Uh, he's going to own it. But if you think about everything else, I mean, it's really not going to change. When that car's on the track, I mean, for, for the for the average, you know, fan, it's just a different guy paying the bills. Yeah. You know, it's really what it amounts to. It seems that he's still working out of DSR. Um, you know, it's still going to be Napa. And, and for the most part, at least at this stage, you know, it's going to have a Dodge body. Who knows what, you know, what, uh, what lies ahead for that program. But I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, how he performs. I think going into the season in funny car, he's going to be the favorite, but um, you know, he may not, you condition yourself to race a certain way instinctively, but, you know, when you go down that track a few times, you start hurting your parts, not Don's parts, because you know he's going to pay the bill, and you know he can just keep feeding that car and fulfill yeah. those sponsor obligations. But now it's yours, and you know what's flowing through that, you know, through that bank account. But it'll be interesting to see if it has any effect on him. I don't think it will initially. Um, I still think it's a top, not just the top five. I think it's a top three car. Agree. And, you know, if we stay on the funny car, actually stay on the funny car and top fuel uh, conversation, um, I interviewed uh, Leah and uh, Tony Stewart earlier in the week. And, you know, they're, they're living in their motorhome in the parking lot of their shop, getting that thing set up. And it's to me, it's a very interesting duality because when I talk to them, you know, Dickie Venables and those guys rolled their car in, set their little, you know, workstations up and, and went to work like it was a regular Tuesday versus the other side of that shop is effectively a ground up you know they're they're assembling cars they're putting stuff together they're they're figuring out where you know where they want to put the shelves effectively so i think it's going to be interesting when we get to pomona to see how both sides of that team come out because i feel like one side of that team effectively like you know basically moved across town and changed their mailing address and everything's the same and the other side of it is very very fresh and new yeah yeah i think the fact that neil is is going to be you know on his own it's not the first time that he's He's taking a crack at tuning the car. And, you know, I just think what's interesting is that, you know, it's it's all on his shoulders. You know, yeah. he has he has a co-crew chief. You know, really all the pressure is going to be on Neil. Um, you know, I, I, you know I, I heard the interview. I thought it was great. But, you know, on the surface, when Leah said, well, they're staying in the motorhome, I, you almost think, wow, they're toughing it out. I mean, that's a lot of work, but I'm pretty sure it's a nice motorhome, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not like... But anyway, I mean, they, I, you know, I, I just thought it was, it was interesting. It shows that, that Tony understands the racing business. And it, I know that he, he's got a lot of, um, a lot of experience that he can fall on. You know, he's, if he's consulting with Don Perdome, um, it, it pretty much ends there. I mean, I'm sure that he's, he's talking to a lot of different team owners, um, 
and it seems like he's going down the right road. But, you know, when you're connected to the people that he is, you know, Don Perdome in particular, you know, Don was not only an owner and a very successful and talented driver, um, but, you know, you go back in time, I mean, he tuned he tuned his own cars. So, yeah. so Don, uh, along with a few others, but Don Perdome in particular, um, if you have him in your corner, that's, you know, that's like a, that's like a Freddie Roach, you know, that's like a custom auto, um, you know, in your corner, if you're a boxer. So I, I think they're going to do just fine. It's, I just, you know, because this sport is built in competition, I posed the question to Joe Costello when I was interviewing him at PRI is who are you going to put your money on? Who's going to finish higher in the points? Is it going to be Tony Schumacher or is it going to be Leah? Because there's going to be a rivalry right there. Well, look, it's it's you know you and I love football, and this is the this is the Belichick Brady question, right? You know, this is the this is the Belichick Brady thing. Like, is is uh, you know Brady goes to Tampa Bay, wins a Super Bowl, and everyone says, well, he won the debate. Now all of a sudden you look at the Patriots, and and they're playing with a bunch of no names with a with a rookie quarterback and and leading the AFC. So you know, not so fast there. But I think that's really a, another element of this. Is it? You know, was Leah successful because of the team or will Leah be successful because she's, you know, she's got a great team now behind her at DSR in a new environment. And it's going to be a great storyline to follow really over the course of the year. Um, you know, Nitro Funny Car, when we look at what's going on there, I see I see all of those contenders that battled it out to the end coming back just as strong or if not, maybe even a little bit stronger for next year. You know, we've not heard of anybody wholesaling, a, losing a crew. We've not heard of a lot of movement there. And certainly a guy like Robert Height is going to be intensely motivated coming out of blocks in 22 because he was very frustrated and, and demoralized with how his season ended. I agree. I mean, when you try to break down, well, who's who, who's your top five? What are your top five picks? I mean, you have to go with Caps. You have to go with Hagen because not a lot changes with the exception of ownership. So that team has stayed intact. Uh, Cruz, Cruz and that snap-on car, one of the best running cars at the end of the year, uh, and Robert and, and Tasca. But where, I mean, where do you stop that? So there's your top five right there, but you're not counting JR. That's not including force. And Wilkerson, who's a little hit and miss, you know, if he gets it together and if he can make the car a little more consistent and, you know, and that, and that's just, I mean, there's eight cars right there and we're right. not even finished the conversation. So, um, you know, what's so good about funny cars, it's going to repeat. It may be even better if you can imagine that. But when you look over at top fuel, it, it's going to be just as good. It's not going to be just one or two or three drivers. I think there's potentially six or seven, maybe even eight that are going to be duking it out. You know what I think what's cool is we're going to find out, uh, you know, what uh, body Ron Caps is going to use, and and we're going to find that out in a few weeks when he makes that announcement. But uh, to my understanding is that he was basically – I'm not going to say approach, but he has he has tendered offers from all three. Um, not not I'm excluding Ford because Ford is effectively an exclusive with um, you know really with Tasca and, and Wilkerson, but um, he's tendered offers with all three Toyota, Dodge, uh, and Chevrolet. So I think that's um, I think that's another good sign of health. Well, when you have something that's new that it's it's exciting, and when you just come off of a championship, that is the time to leverage your assets and yeah. and your success so i think ron is right now he's in a good place he's in a very good position and um he's got some leverage and he's got some pressure he definitely has <laughs> pressure yeah and like you said that's that's pressure that's going to be ever uh, evolving throughout the course of the year um the pro stock category you know again we can kind of talk the same way we do about funny car we got we got the, the main players coming back uh we have this camry caruso team that she announced jim yates as her crew chief which i think is a, a an excellent pick this is a you know, one of the great kind of swamis of the category, a guy who I think if, if I'm a young driver in Camry Caruso, that's the guy I want coaching me to get me up to a professional level. Uh, and then we got Roger Brogdon, who is, has, has signed on to race uh, a full season with KB Power. And in, in speaking to Greg Anderson, um, he, he has more people trying to get in on that deal than he has cars to put them in. And he's... he's making incredible decisions now because it's come to the point now where he's trying to figure out if they can if they have the manpower and the resources to field more cars beyond what they're already fielding, which is not the story we were talking about in pro stock just a few seasons ago. No. And I mean, really that's a good problem to have. I mean, that just means more revenue. You know, they, that's a business for them. And I'm sure that, you know, they, they rely on some of that, you know, revenue. Oh, absolutely. Their, their program. So, you know, it's work for Greg. I, I think he's got enough experience. He's got enough talent. He's been doing it long enough. And, and he's coming off of a championship. I think it seems that they're going to focus on the business 
uh, aspect of it. And I think when it comes time to race, you know, they're going to be ready. I, I know they were, you know, breaking in tires. They're already doing burnouts there. So, uh, you know, I think I think Greg is so immersed in, in his business. And it was pretty impressive, pretty spectacular, even though he fell on some, you know, some rough times. And you just have so many of these drivers that are stepping up. And I think the most interesting thing about Pro Stock uh, besides the story about Greg and Erica is going to be, you're going to have these younger guys and you're going to have these experience, these veterans in pro stock. And, you know, that's, that's a pretty good um, a variety. That's quite the diversity in that class. It really is. And, you know, to me, and I look at pro stock motorcycle in 2022, the biggest question I have is what did Steve Johnson learn from this year? And will Steve Johnson be able to apply himself to get himself back into a, a contending rider? And you know, I, I it was it was interesting to watch Steve. It was at times frustrating to watch Steve. Some of his some of his mistakes were were, were very publicly self inflicted. But you know, overall, this is the the guy's the best season he's ever had. And you know, I'm not certainly not saying anybody can do it once. But if he's able to come back and ride the way he did, especially during the during the middle part of the season and contend again, that's that's changes the uh, changes the story of Steve Johnson's career to go from kind of the like I say the clown prince of pro stock motorcycle well, that's kind of what he was for many years to an actual you know championship contending rider yeah I think the toughest part of, of that is going to be that there's going to be other other riders uh, maybe Matt Smith in particular that yeah. has the four valve and you really got to feel for Steve and you know I know that I think what it came down to for him is dollars and cents you know if you really think about it you know Steve did a good job on the bike. He did a great job tuning it. He did a good job networking and, and uh, you know, managing to get enough funding to do it the way that he did. Because Steve has done this long enough, he realizes that, you know, to compete with the bigger teams, the higher funded teams that have more resources, um, you know, you, you've got to have you've got to have at least what they have. He may yeah. not have as many engines. But I think for what he had to work with, he did a great job. And with the success that he had, I think, and, and hopefully he should be able to leverage that because, uh, you know, those sponsors, they're, you know, they're smarter than what most of these people give them credit for. You know, they're always watching and they do expect results. And now they've seen that not only is he a good spokesperson, not only is he a good racer, um, but now, you know, now he's performed. He's at a high level. So hopefully that'll help him you know, draw in some more, um, some more sponsorship and help them compete against, you know, I think Craywick, Eddie and, and Andrew, you know, they're not going to be second fiddle to, to Angel. I think they're, they're going to be in the mix. We saw them getting stronger, uh, Eddie in particular, but it's still going to be Matt. And, um, I, I just think, I mean, if you look at, if you look at Angel, I mean, that if there was one machine that I, I would say on average had was the strongest and it was probably on gels but you know there again it's going to be three or four riders you know duking it out and it'll, it'll be interesting to see how matt is able to make that transition from what he had and having so much data in to switching over to the full four valve yeah that is going to be another uh, another fascinating part and to your point uh, just to put a, a button on it with steve johnson it's like we we he spent more time on television, either being a top end interview or his his runs being shown, and then on the social media side, we did loads of stuff with him this year because he was a contending rider. I would say the combined total media he got over the course of twenty twenty one was probably greater than the last five years combined in total. <laughs> it's amazing what what winning and what he, <clears throat> what getting to the late rounds does, and um, I think he is. You know, we've seen flashes of Steve, but never. Have we seen him go to the end, you know, in the in the way that he did, in the manner that he did? I mean, it really came down to the last couple of rounds of racing. And, you know, we all knew. We talked about it. We framed it up. Um, when there's two or three or four or five drivers going into that last race, it's only one that's going to come out on top. Um, but it, it uh, Matt Smith pulled it off again. And I just think a lot of those same riders, Steve included, are going to be there again. Uh, if you had to uh, put you on the spot here, if you had to pick maybe one or two signature moments from 2021 for you that, that kind of jump out, maybe jump to the top of the pile, what would they be? Well, um, you know, I think I think what Brittany did and what David Grubnick and that team did um, so many Friday evenings by just making our jaws drop yeah. uh, with the kind of performance that he was able to to pull off, I think that was pretty impressive. Um, not just once or twice, but, you know, probably 15 times. Um, 
that was that was it that was neat to watch it really was um and one thing sticks out brian since you're going to put me on the spot and i i'm sure there's a lot of them but one really i think great moment was i'm trying to think of the race but it was tim wilkerson it was in the final round and if help me remember what race it was nobody was getting down the right lane oh, it was indy. Up until that was indy okay that's that's what i thought yep. it was in the final round at indy ron caps was a favorite and and in the semifinals, I think he had run a 98, 98. maybe 97. So he was about six, six, seven, maybe seven hundreds off. Um, and they stuck him in the right lane. And and he got down that lane. Not only did he beat him, um, I don't know if he left on him or not, but just I remember that performance. And and I know I know the feeling that Caps had because he hasn't been able to pull the Indy went off. And the one time that that he that he it seemed that he was going to. Um, it didn't happen, and that was just to me. That was one of the more impressive runs of the year. Oh, it totally was. Yeah, and uh, and I talked to Tim at PRI, and and um, he was telling me the story that you know they run a ninety eight that run round before, and Caps ran ninety flat basically, and he's in the trailer and he's looking at the computer, and his wife walked in and she said, "You know they ran ninety, right?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and there was a lot of you know a lot of things that happened that that lane. Um, you know, it, it improved, you know, especially from what it was in the first round. It got a little bit better in the second round. It wasn't bad, even though, but, you know, what happens is when all the drivers just say right lane, right lane, right lane, whether, you know, whether there was something legitimately there or they were using that as a scapegoat. But a lot of times the tuners, they'll say, you know, they'll, they'll tell the driver to shallow stage, shallow stage, shallow stage. If they always had their way, the driver would shallow stage because that takes a little bit of their performance away. And, uh, there may be one or two egos in the pits there at the races. So, you know, the tuners <laughs> always have their agenda, you know, and, and I've been on both sides, but the majority of my career, you know, I spent as a driver and I just say, you know what, let these drivers do what they have to do to win because what good is lane choice if you don't get to that, that next round, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that is uh, that is the name of the game. Well, man, it was a great year, and, um, you know, I think it was like it was a setup year for what 22 is promising to look like, and I uh, wish you and the boys and your family a uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and can't wait to get to the Phoenix Test, man. we got a little while to wait, but, man, it's, uh, it's not that far away. No, it's going to go by pretty quick, Brian. And likewise, and especially to all the fans and all your listeners, uh, you know, stay healthy. And um, it's hard to imagine it could be better, but I think we're in store for a better year, a more exciting year on the track. Tony Pedragon, color analyst for the NHRA on Fox. He'll be back next to me in 2022. Cannot wait to get this ball rolling at the Phoenix Test and then into Pomona. Tony, have a good one, man. You too. Merry Christmas. So after an always enlightening chat with Tony Pedregon, we move to our second guest here on the NHRA Insider Podcast, our final guest of the year in 2021. How about that? He's not hitting leadoff. He's sitting cleanup here. He is the man who runs Drag Illustrated Magazine, the founder, the publisher, the guy who is uh, just constantly 100% immersed in drag racing. Mr. Wes Buck, how you doing, man? I could not be better, brother. Thank you for that uh, rousing introduction. Last guest of the year? <laughs> I'll tell I'll you take what. It, man. It's I'll a, take it. It's an honorable position to be in. And, you know, I want to start this conversation by talking a little PRI because um, not just involving NHRA, but really across drag racing, this was a PRI show almost, I would say, almost unparalleled in my experience for the amount of news that broke for everybody, including you with 30 under 30. I have to agree, man. And I was actually. I was having a conversation with someone last night, I forget who it was, and they were talking about how nice it would be if PRI was arranged in a fashion where like all the drag racing stuff was together and all the circle track stuff was together and all the you know truck pulling stuff was all together. And I said, no, 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 no. We've got to spread the blessings of drag racing throughout yes. the con- the convention hall. Otherwise, nobody else would see anything. I mean, it's, and it's kind of, I'm being, I'm being funny. I say that in jest. But it's kind of true. I felt like drag racing stole the show in Indianapolis and and across the board, really. You out there on the NHRA stage interviewing pretty much every mover and shaker in the sport of drag racing. Uh, We were doing our damnedest at Drag Illustrated to to shine a light on the sport. We had announcements being made in the Texas Motorplex booth. We had 
summits taking place. We had, and, and to your point, news every 35 seconds, it seemed like. Just a <laughs> great outing for the sport of drag racing, man. Tip of the old cap to everybody involved with that production because I was thoroughly impressed. Yeah, and to your point, you know, if, if you took that show and kind of segregated things by their initial group, it would be like going to a dance in high school. You know, the boys would be on one side, <laughs> girls would be on the other. Nobody would be talking to each other, and that doesn't, and, and honestly, it doesn't help anybody. I mean, we had Ben Rhodes, the, the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, guy on our stage because the Ben Rhodes's truck was set up by us and I saw him hanging out I'm like Ben you want to hang out he's like yeah and so you know that was a great get for us and and we had a bunch of people standing there that maybe aren't huge stock car racing fans but learned a little something about this guy who you know said hey man if Toyota never let me uh, slide into a top fueler to make a couple of hits I'd do it tomorrow so like you said all this stuff you got you got to cross pollinate the whole thing I completely agree, man. And it was, uh, I feel like it was a special occasion. I, obviously, the, the grand return of the PRI show after a break yeah. due to a still lingering global pandemic, it just felt like the vibe was as good as I have felt it. I mean, despite all the things that are going on in this world of ours, Brian, it was still cool to see such immense amounts of positivity and excitement headed into a new season it's I it really did feel good I mean I know it's we have to say these things right and we're supposed we're we're ambassadors of the sport and we're supposed to be shining a light on this stuff and being positive and spinning everything that way but I, I genuinely mean it what happened this past weekend in Indy and I said this to Dr. Meyer the president of PRI I said this to Mike Galemi at NMCA like any of the industry I said it to you many of the industry people that I bumped into throughout the weekend this felt special. I, I Maybe I'm crazy and maybe I'm just that guy that wears my heart in my shirt sleeve and gets excited and, and cries at the movies, but it felt special. There was a chemistry in that building that I haven't felt in a while. There were smiles on faces that I hadn't seen smiling in a while. It just felt positive, brother. Yeah, it really did. And uh, a lot of times I, you know, I try to temper comments or, or you know, uh, coming off a, a week like this, but it's really almost impossible to do that. And, you know, I want to talk about uh, 30 under 30 this year because another great kind of crop of, of young stars in drag racing. I think it's been a great program to highlight the talent in this sport that goes across across all the lines. I mean, you know, Billy from Maple Grove being recognized and, and Billy's a guy who, who has just such genuine love of drag racing and he's not a guy that really a lot of people outside of Maple Grove know unless they maybe follow him on Facebook or something all the way up to the you know the, the young crop of pro stock drivers that were part of the group it really did touch almost every level of the sport that's perhaps what I'm most proud of like this is a great moment for our company right I won't be we're we're in business obviously we're, we're trying to earn a living here we're earning a living here in the sport of drag racing and this is a most most certainly a business function for us but I, I don't know that I could be more, any more proud of what this Drag Illustrated 30 Under 30 list has come to mean in our industry. This was a little bit of an off-the-cuff idea six years ago, seven years ago, Brian. Like, we were just throwing this around. Like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did something like Forbes and their very famous 40 Under 40, but did it for drag racing and kind of did it our way? And then it started to evolve. It's just like so many of these conversations start out on a cocktail napkin and end up on a marquee somewhere. And that's very much the case with a 30 under 30. We knew we wanted this, to your point about Billy at Maple Grove, and a lot of the people on this list, Kyle Christ, the videographer, Straight yes. Line uh, Motorsports. There's, I was especially proud of the fact that you don't, have to, you don't have to be wearing a track champion's jacket to be part of this group of people. You don't have to be an NHRA pro-level star. You don't have to be Dallas Glenn. You don't have to be... Even Joey Oaksis, right, the the newfound champion of the Midwest Drag Racing Series Pro Mod Division, you have to be someone who's obviously under the age of 30, but making a difference, making an impact in the sport of drag racing. And when I read through that list, in front of a capacity crowd, the press conference room at the PRI show was literally elbow to elbow. I think the temperature went up. 10 or 15 degrees in that room once and, everybody got in there. And the problem is everybody's wearing a hoodie, so that becomes a whole other logistical <laughs> issue. Yeah, I'm looking out at a sea of black hoodies with various <laughs> logos uh, across the chest, and I, I was so proud of the diversity, right? I mean, just we had grudge racers, top alcohol racers, bracket racers, um, fabricators, content creators, and series officials. Gavin Carter from the NMCA and NMRA come to mind. Courtney Paulshock, the official photographer yeah. for the No Prep Kings series. I was just so proud of the fact that, you know, I wish something like this existed when I was coming into this sport, right? Whenever I was 
making my bones and, and trying to be, be discovered or even be acknowledged right. or, or have someone yes. return a phone call. Yeah. What a leg up this would have been. And I'm super proud of it. And I appreciate you, uh, you making mention and making mention of these fine young folks, Nate Van Wagnon, our editor in chief at drag illustrated, Josh Hatchett, senior editor, our whole team, we labor over this. We had nearly 7,000 nominations, Brian, That's for this deal. Oh, my God. Whittle it down to 30 people. And those aren't 7,000 individual people, you know, but those are 7,000 nominations for various people. I mean, obviously, some of them were repetitive and whatnot, but we would literally get such a dynamic range of, of feedback from people. We, we accept nominations just from the masses, and every once in a while, you get a one-liner, hey, you need to put my kid in here. He's really good looking, just like his father. <laughs> but then you'll get another one, a passionate plea from a, a girlfriend, a passionate plea from a mother, a passionate plea from someone within our industry, a company owner, a manufacturer. We had a couple of these, Brian, that were like 1,500 word exposés. You're, front, you're in the business, wow. so you know yeah. the significance of yeah. that. But I mean, really passionate pleas from these people asking for their son or daughter or friend family member to be recognized and when you get that kind of feedback or that kind of input it, it makes all the difference in the world we're really proud of it i uh it, it's no secret i tell this story a lot but i grew up going to the drag races that's all i ever did i it's all i ever cared to do i, I tried my hand at playing football i tried my hand at little league baseball but the only thing that really stuck with me was going to the races with my dad and i remember going to especially in those high school years when friendships and clicks, as you mentioned earlier about the high school yeah. dance, like as those things started to develop, I remember what it felt like to be the son of a drag racer, the son of a, a mechanic amongst a sea of star athletes and talented musicians. And I, I look around at all these letterman jackets, like the band kids get letter jackets. Like, are really like, you know, I'm going, we're, we got a pro stock car. That guy's got a tuba, you, you know? Right. And it was like, it broke my heart. Yeah. And I remember all my friends growing up, dude, were 45 years old. Yeah. Right. They were my dad's racing buddies. So I know the battle that these young kids fight being feeling isolated, feeling like their friends don't exist through the week because they see their friends on the weekends at the racetrack. And I know what that life is like. The sacrifices that have to be made blown off the kegger, blown off the beer party because you've got to drive all night to Earlville, Iowa. Yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, I know that I know that grind and I think it's important, very important that these young people are encouraged along the way of what you and I both know, no matter how successful they go on to become, will be a rough road. You're going to take some L's. Oh, you're going to take some lumps. Yeah, yeah, take some L's you and know? take some lumps and, and sometimes physically. But yeah, that's that's a that's an excellent point. So, yeah, it's a it's a project near and dear our heart. I appreciate everybody. We had I think everybody on the list short of a few make special arrangement arrangements to come to Indy, which is pretty special. I, it's not lost on me what it costs to oh, travel. Yeah. No, you know it's, what I mean? yeah, no, this and is, you gotta, that, you're, that you're really up to your special, life. Because, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's what the value of people, you know, the value of, of being part of that and, and not wanting to miss the moment of being officially recognized and everything else. So, you know, one of the things I, I, I think that that list does, one of the things I know that, that you actively try to do, certainly something I've, I've tried to do in my career is like build these bridges between a, a, a different factions of a sport that 10 years ago was way more fractious than it is now yes everybody's got their own series and everybody's got their own interests but I think when we look at drag racing in 2021 versus what drag racing was in 2011 and I look at how many people I look at the J.R. Grays I look at the Lyle Barnett's I look at the Paige Coughlin's I look at so many people now that are not pigeonholing themselves as to being one thing you don't know. You no longer have to be just a grudge racer and f everybody else. You no longer just have to be a big money bracket racer, f everybody else. You no longer have to be just a small tire racer, f everybody else. You can now, you can now participate in this sport in, in ways in ways that in crossover ways now and be proud of it. And that was not always the case. And and I really do feel like you know between Drag Illustrated and and other things that have gone on in this sport, I feel like that that this idea of being stuck in one particular thing, identifying only as that and never doing anything else is, is dying quickly, which is good. I couldn't agree more. I really couldn't. And that's honestly the reason Drag Illustrated exists. 16 years ago, that was 1,000% my belief system that we were, we were part of a sport that that lacked unity. I mean, in each in each one of these individual segments, whether it's the NMCA or the NHRA, and it's, 
it even exists within those series, right? Within those sanctions on different levels, yeah. the pro racers versus the sportsmen and the, you know, the comp guys versus everybody else or whatever the case may be. I really felt like, man, a high tide lifts all boats. We can accomplish a lot more. And I know these things sound cliche and they sound like pump up speeches, but I truly believe it. If we can get everybody swimming the same direction, there is no telling what this group of innovators hard workers, smart, accomplished people can accomplish. I think drag racing deserves better. It just in terms of like the mainstream media and recognition across the sporting world. I see some of the, the fanfare and pomp and circumstance that exists around many of these other types of motorsports. And I can't help but have a little bit of a chip in my shoulder for oh, the absolutely. sport of drag racing. Same for me. I know I know there's more. I know there's more for us. I know this group of people deserve more. And if we can get everybody to to your point, like just be friendly at the bare minimum, like recognize that we all are doing our dance. Um, but there is my, my, what I always say, Brian, is that if you've rolled through the water and you've turned on that top and bottom bulb, you're my kind of people, right? Right. If you've, I don't care if that's in a, a street car, a Toyota Camry, a top fuel car or somewhere in between, you're minding, you're my kind of guy or gal. And I think if we can keep that mindset going and create as many scenarios as we can, where people from all walks of the racing life come together. And I, again, I know this sounds like a Beatles song, but I really do think if we can get this group of people to work together, even if it's just for moments at a time, we will benefit from it at some point in the future. Yeah, that's the absolute truth. You know, I want to, uh, I want to dip outside the NHRA for a minute. Um, you know, I look at series like the PDRA, you know, I see what's going on with the NHRA, which is extremely positive, but I can also look at like a Northeast Outlaw Pro Mod Association, the PDRA. I mean, these, there is a lot of thriving going on in this sport. And as you mentioned, ultimately, the industry thriving helps every single person involved in the industry. And I'm glad to see the success on, on those sides of the fence, too. No doubt about it, man. I was actually at the PDRA banquet Friday night in Indianapolis during the PRI show. And real quick side note, perhaps the best banquet in drag racing. Not that I'm any sort of like <laughs> banquet connoisseur, but having been to a, a few of these, more than a few, um, anywhere from like the Drury Inn basement in Peoria, <laughs> Illinois, to right the, the big gala that they put on this past weekend for the PDRA at the downtown Marriott in Indy, really impressive group of racers and the passion and enthusiasm. It, it really feels like the PDRA, that group of people, that group of racers coming into their own. I've been trying to preach to them a little bit. Uh, you were actually there when you emceed the, yes. their banquet a couple of years ago. I got up on stage and really just tried to yell at this group of people that you guys don't recognize how significant what you're doing is. You don't. You guys aren't giving yourselves enough credit for what the PDRA has become. And I think that whole group of people, that entire community should be walking around with their chest puffed out. They had a great season in 2021. In 2020, they found a, a way to race when many sanctions and series did not. Um, I think they've done some really impressive things and I'm happy for them and I'm proud to see them. I don't think it was a matter of turning the corner. It was a matter of catching their stride. Yeah, right. And I, I see that sense. happening. Yeah. I, may, I see that in a lot of places. The Northeast Outlaw Pro Mod Association, I see that a lot of various sanctions and, you know, or, or excuse me, regional series, smaller tracks even, some of these no-time events and grudge racing events. Every time I get on social media, I feel like I see a picture of a packed-out drag strip, and it just it feels good. I, I make this joke a lot, but I go to PRI, and I feel like the Grinch because I leave, and my heart has grown like six sizes. Right. Yeah, that's definitely the feeling. Uh, that's definitely the feeling I think a lot of us left with. Uh, for this year to transition back over to the NHRA side of things, um, you know, and talking to Tony and, and I said it probably enough that people think I'm a broken record, but I mean, the, this off season has been almost to a degree transformational for everything that's gone on and, and really things that haven't even yet been announced that will be going on. Um, I look at what 22 has in store for, you know, car counts of racers that are saying they're coming back or expanding schedules. We look at Camry Caruso coming into pro stock. I mean, we can go down the list of a hundred different things here, but the 2022 season for NHRA is feeling like a breakout year on about every different level you can think of. I couldn't agree more, man. I, I will fully admit that you likely know the ins and outs of many of these oh, crew sure. chief dances and yeah. crew things that are happening, but I, I, we've been paying attention, you know, right. To see this, to see Antron Brown go out and I can't, I'm still having trouble wrapping my head around the whole 
everything that's gone on with Don Schumacher Racing, to be honest with you. I think about what this man and what that team has represented in our sport, what those three letters have represented in our sport for so long. And to think about this monumental changing of the times, his team going from whatever, four or six cars, I mean, more than that, pro stock and pro stock bikes at one point in time. Yeah, back in the day. like back in the day to what appears to be a single car operation in 2022 really hard to wrap my head around the thought of ron caps going from kind of the ultimate perhaps our sports one of our sports most significant real deal hired shoes you know like hired gun drivers to a team owner like that that's something that i don't know that i ever really thought not no nothing against him no i I know exactly what you're saying i thought the same thing that's just not how i've ever envisioned him i always saw him as this this driver whether it was for prodome or whatever car it was or for schumacher i just always knew him as that so it's uh it's a really interesting thing but by all accounts talking to justin ashley talking to antron brown talking to caps talking to milliken talking to many of these nitro types there's an enthusiasm and excitement about top fuel and fun car that i haven't felt perhaps in my entire career, Brian. I mean, I've been in the sport my entire life, but professionally for like 15, 16 years, and it always seemed like Top Fuel and Funny Car, for the most part, was this very, it was the usual suspect. Exactly. The same, the same guys in the lineup. And hey, in many walks of life, we love that type of consistency. We love knowing the cast of characters. But I have to admit that it perhaps had become a little mundane and to see all these fresh faces and knowing the, the performance potential of a Josh Hart to come out with his own operation and win the first race. Is that right? He won the yeah, first race he the, entered. Yeah, he won the Gator Nationals, came out of the gates winning. Yeah. yeah. It wins the first race he goes to. I don't think that that scenario could have happened really at any point in the past. Like it, we had to wait till now. So 2022, by all accounts, is going to be a barn burner. I, I truly believe we're going to see some special things happen. I think the NHRA has made a lot of the right moves. Uh, just, and I can sense, and you're probably way more privy to this than I am, but there just seems to be some open ears, some interest, some collaborative effort taking place, some yeah. communication that yeah. maybe wasn't taking place in the past. And it's just, you know, I probably sound like a broken record as well, but it feels like a really good time for high level NHRA drag race. And a few years ago, I think there was a lot of people in high places going, hmm, we gotta, we need to be paying attention to this. Like, because there may be some seismic shifts happening. And to see it kind of, I don't know if recovers the right word necessarily, but regain its momentum or kind of yeah. no, just I, find I know. a way to exactly. get everybody back excited, it's really impressive, man. Kudos to everybody involved, all these team owners that are still, I would say oftentimes on our show, on the pages of Drag Illustrated, that I was concerned at times that the nitro dream had kind of had faded. It had gotten so expensive to race in top fuel and funny car and all these multi-car teams. It seemed to me like maybe that dream, the guy that's laying awake at night thinking about drag racing and dreaming to be the next Ron Caps or dreaming about being the next Don Perdome or Kenny Bernstein. I felt like maybe that had, maybe those days had expired. Yeah, I agree with Just you. It, I agree. And, and even, you know, you know, even in pro back. stock, you know, we've talked about this and I talked yes. about it on the stage where it's like, you know, when I was a kid and even up until I was, you know, mid-late teenager, you know, the path was you're a great sportsman racer, you find yourself in a pro stock car, and then that just stopped happening. And then now we look around and we look at we look at guys like Dallas Glenn, we look at Camry Caruso, you know, Erica, of course, was a groundbreaker in this in this scenario. Um, you know, rumors are that there'll be a, a second car at some point coming out of the Camry camp that will be driven by a very talented sportsman racer. We look at Roger Brogdon. I mean, so this idea of the great sportsman racer running pro stock is all of a sudden and, uh, alive and well again isn't that crazy yeah. and to think about it in terms of just it being it's been a long time perhaps never that i've heard somebody say like oh like the most affordable deal in pro level drag racing is pro stock <laughs> right. like what right. Right. Wait, what um but i i think that's a kudos to richard freeman and and greg anderson kb racing elite um, the McGahays, all these people that have kind of banded together in nhra pro stock drag racing to find a way to make it, the word affordable. Reasonable. Very, very, attainable. Yeah. How about let's okay. just go with attainable. Attainable. <laughs> make it attainable. And that's an exciting thing, man. And I think the NHRA has a lot to do with it. The visibility that has been uh, offered up to pro-level race teams by way of the NHRA and their partners at, excuse me, your partners at Fox 
hey, that, I don't think that's lost on anyone. This yeah. thing is is reaching new levels. It's in front of new eyeballs. We're we're following up NFL broadcasts. We're following up. We're leading up to NA, or NASCAR races. This isn't. This is a whole new world. I feel like Aladdin and Jasmine. This is a whole new world for <laughs> for drag racing for NHRA drag racing. And I just I think people recognize that. Wow, maybe that value proposition is a little more intact or a little more significant than we thought it was, especially if you compare it to any other motorsport or high level motorsport. So as you look into your crystal ball for 22, what are the things that kind of have you most excited? I'm not just talking about NHRA. I'm talking about the sport in general. I guess I have to, I have to point probably to, hmm, that's a tough one. I think I'm going to see the NHRA pro mod series rebound in 2022, which is exciting to me. I think think 21 was a, there was significant year. Yeah. The the rules that were, you know, and and they, they'll, they'll straight up admit it. The the changes that they made were exclusionary. They thought they were doing the right thing and it ended up being, you know, chassis changes that just made a lot of guys get excited and then go, no, I'm not spending $30,000. So, so to, to remove that, I think my opinion is in line with yours. I think we're going to see a rebound year in pro mod. I want to. I've, for many, many years, have said that I believe the NHRA Pro Mod Drag Racing Series is the final frontier for door slammer drag racing. It's the quarter mile. It's NHRA national events. It's cars and stars in the staging lanes with John Force and Clay Milliken. It's, it is the ultimate, it is the premier place to race a fast door slammer. And to see it go from what we had in 18 and 19 with more cars than we knew what to do with. We were literally turning people away at at some places. Some of the tracks where we were relatively limited on, on floor space to, to what we had in 2021 was really tough to take. It felt like we lost some momentum. We lost some enthusiasm, but by all accounts and what I experienced at the PRI show, we actually had a, uh, what we called the drag illustrated pro mod summit on Friday morning. And we invited in, uh, Glenn Cromwell from NHRA, the NHRA president was there. John Saragusa was there from NHRA. We had, of course, John Waldies, everybody's favorite uh, grandpa, uh, <laughs> was there. ProMod's grandpa, I think. Not the godfather of ProMod, that's Charles Carpenter. But I think right. ProModified's loving grandfather, uh, grandpa, is John Waldie. We also had Lonnie, Lonnie Grimm from NHRA's technical staff there. Raleigh Miller from NMCA. Tyler Crossno from PDRA. We had representatives from Northeast Outlaw Pro Mod and great. Sam Corcus from No Prep Kings was there. I mean, a really diverse group of people, and we all came into this room with a kind of pretty open agenda of saying, "Hey, it's time this group of people work together. It's Absolutely. time this group yeah. of people know one another's name, have one another's cell phone number," and that alone kind of showed me that we're going to see a big year across the board for fast door slammer racing in twenty two. I know Sydney Frigo, some of the hitters that we're aware of, Sydney Frigo coming back. Um, I, we know Lyle Barnett is is returning for a second season, which you never know. There's been many instances where we've seen Absolutely. a fresh face come into Pro Mod and be there for a race or a season and go, you know what? A little too rich for my blood. A little, yeah. little too competitive for us. We're going to go back over here. <clears throat> but to hear a team like that who, who struggled early on but had some success there late in the season, a couple of wins, a couple of big wins – announce this early that they're they're intending to go back and fight the good fight again i think we'll see nhra pro mod in a really great spot for 22 i'm excited to see who emerges as clay millican and i talked about this uh on my show wins last thursday in indy and he said what he's most excited about in 2022 is as john force as the writing you know gets and a darker written on the wall that you know his days his his yeah. time in our sport has to be drawing to an end I, I mean i think we'll have to pry him out of that funny car but clay said he goes i'm excited to see who's going to emerge as our next elvis john yep. forces drag racing's elvis and it feels like the stage is quickly being set for someone to emerge as our sports as pro level drag racing's number one ambassador biggest star and i'm excited to kind of see what happens next year as all these independent teams come into their own, some of these team owners that maybe haven't had the autonomy or haven't believed they had the autonomy to give us the straight dirt, be themselves, wear their heart on their shirt sleeves. I'm excited to see how that plays out. I think PDRA is looking really good. NMCA looking really good across the board. I just think we're going to have a healthy season. I'm anxious to see how our sport handles some of the shipping uh, manufacturing issues that exist, but, the momentum that we have right now and the overall positive attitude 
I think will be reflected in every style of drag racing in 22, whether it's junior dragster kids or top fuel and funny car or pro stock somewhere in between. It feels like everything's up. I've not talked to anybody that, that doesn't feel good about the coming season. So it's very exciting, man. I'm looking forward to it. My personal plan is to dip out to more independent drag races. I've spent many of the last several years going to as many NHRA national events as I can, as many PRA national events as I can. And what I've kind of resigned myself to, and this is in a positive way, is that one of the things that I learned during COVID is like, man, I actually, I, I like having to be a little bit more, what's the word? think, think it out my schedule, I like got being you. Yeah. More, um, yeah. you know, like, you know, typically I roll into the new season going, well, I'll just go to all of them. You know what I mean? Like, right. I'm going to just go to as many <laughs> as I can and, you know, uh, change flights as needed. But I, my plan for 22 is, Hey, let's, let's go to this no time race in, in Rockingham where they're going to race the cars backwards up the drag strip. Let's go to, let's go to a big dog shootout on Thursday night at Piedmont dragway. Let's go to extreme raceway park when they down here in Texas, when they run the fuel alters versus the pro mods, right? I want to go to more of these independent one-off events. Let's go up to Eddyville Raceway Park in Iowa when Scott Palmer is going to show up with a legit top fuel car. Let, let's do more of that. Let's go to let's go to Sick Week with Tom Bailey down in Florida and roll around uh, in a in a pro mod on the highway. Right? I want to do more things like that. Go to some of these off the beaten path events because as much momentum and excitement as I believe there is in high level drag racing, I think that same situation exists at these no time events, these top end events, these drag and drive events, man, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on in the sport. And I want to make sure I don't miss any of it. Amen to that. Wes Buck, founder, publisher, CEO of Drag Illustrated. Wes, I sincerely appreciate you taking the time and a great overview, umbrella look at the sport of drag racing, man. A lot of positive stuff going on. Wish you and your family a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And I know I'm going to run into you somewhere out there in the not too distant future. I would certainly hope so, man. Thank you so much for the time. I appreciate what you do for our sport, Brian. I'm so proud of all of you that you've accomplished. Uh, and I'm excited to do more things with you in the future. I hope you guys have a Merry Christmas as well. Congrats to all our champions out there in the, the drag racing universe. I look forward to seeing all of y'all on the racetrack in 22. Thank you very much, Wes Buck. And that's a wrap on our 2021 NHRA Insider Podcast season. It has truly been a pleasure to bring you inside the world of NHRA drag racing, catching up with the stars of our sport from the Lucas Oil level to the Camping World Series, our pro-modified drivers, pro-stock motorcycle racers, you name it. We spoke to them inside and outside the world of NHRA drag racing. I cannot wait to start talking about 2022 in earnest when we come back from our off-season, or when I should say come back from our Christmas and New Year's break. The show will resume during the first week of 2020. And we'll be getting new topics, new information, new news breaking, and a whole lot of excitement for the 2022 season. Thanks again for listening. I'm Brian Loans, your host. I am excited to be able to continue to say that. We'll be back to see you again in 2022. For every guest that came on the show this year, thanks for taking the time. And for all of you out there listening, thanks for taking your time to tune in to being a fan of NHRA Drag Racing.